0: This is The Playbook. All right, this is Dave Meltzer live at Collision. This may be year number seven or eight ever since we've been in New Orleans. And we have hijacked The Next Stage podcast to do a little Entrepreneurs The Playbook edition of The Next Stage podcast. And I got two extraordinary Vancouverans. Is that what you call you guys? Vancouverans? Vancouver rights. Right. Vancouver <laughs> rights. rights. It's, a big it's so right. We All have right.
1: nothing to do with the Vancouverians.
0: <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> Vancouver's right. Tannis George is here with me and Joe Tolzman. Uh, is this your first Collision? Yeah. Yes. Oh, we that's literally a Literally walked in
1: the door 30 minutes ago. So As a serial I'm,
0: entrepreneur, I know. Have you heard of it before?
1: Oh yeah, I had heard of it, but I just too much head down.
0: Yeah, being an entrepreneur. Yeah. How about you, Joe? You're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. A yeah. Serious and serial.
2: Serial and <laughs> serious. Yeah. I'm just a serial. First, first time at The Collision, but it's so awesome to be here. Mm-hmm. It's 35 40,000 people. Such a great energy. It's yeah, awesome to be here.
0: There's a lot of, it's a community of people that want to help each other and know people who can help each other. And yet you have to navigate so much as we do as entrepreneurs. And I want to start with probably the most pressing issue that I've learned over the last 35 years as an entrepreneur and it's capitalization of companies. And one of the things I see at Collision, Web Summit, Rise, Uh, they even had it in Brazil, now that the economy's turning a little bit more challenging is that people once again are realizing it's really difficult to raise money. And yet, raising money and making money are the two common denominators to success. And I'm going to start uh, with you, uh, Tanya, as well. I'm starting a fund, and I think it's the first, it's it's a white middle-aged male fund for women and women of color. So I only want white middle-aged men. That's all, their money. I want their money, like me. But we are only funding women of color because I think my experience has been this disconnect Mm. of people like me wanting so bad to support people like you and Mm. other people like you. And now with the economy turning, I think it's less than 2% of women and women of color that are getting any money. Mm. And yet 73% of the earth is women and people of color, let alone in America. And and I think if you take out the Stanford people, it drops below 1%. (laughs) So I'm not gonna fund anyone from Stanford. Right. <laughs> I'll take their money. If you're a white middle-aged man from, St- John Hennessey, uh please, you're welcome. I'll take all the money you can. Um, do you see where I'm going with this connection? And do you think I'm on the right track to helping to bridge and inspire people to put our money where it's best utilized, statistically, into women and people of color?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, um... When I speak on the topic of women in tech, because obviously I get asked to speak on this, on this topic, um, where I prefer to go is to encourage women to consider raising money. I think there's a gap. Um, we often find that we have the mommypreneur, where women tend to feel more comfortable thinking smaller scale, maybe. Idea, so better
0: ideas with smaller scale.
1: Yeah, and so, but I, I, I encourage people to get educated on the process of raising money, and I think there's this disconnect that it's it's going to be difficult that um, that maybe my business isn't good enough, strong enough to scale. So I I often encourage women to really look at the potential of their business and say, hey, is this something you could take global? Most of the time, they think, some, well, not most of the time but there are often people who are thinking smaller scale for their business because many times they have so many other commitments as well. So I often try and encourage women, um, because the money's there. I firmly believe that it's not that, let's say, men don't want to fund women's businesses. The the money's there. Um, They just, women need to be more confident in going after it and confident in a business that can grow and scale to the level it needs to grow and scale in order to attract Investment so that's where i like to educate and push people forward
0: and I love that accountability approach Mm. do you ever get uh, Women like with the female quotient like a Shelly Zalis, getting on you a little bit about like don't yeah Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, it's not but you know, I'm I'm comfortable comfortable I get to be that voice because of my background so I get to be and I have had more than a few women come up to me after hearing me talk and say Thank you so much um, for, for letting me know that it's not, I'm not always going to reach a wall that on the merits of a great business idea, I can exceed. And I just, that's what I tell everyone. Just listen, the world is greedy. <laughs> and if you've got a good business, everyone will hand you money.
0: Yeah, the color green is definitely a, English and worldwide <laughs> language, always has been. Yeah. I study history to learn human nature and greed is uh, certainly, since I've gone all the way back to Sanskrit, uh, part of that when they wrote the rules of being human, that, uh, you know, others are mirrors of ourselves. So, it's so interesting. Now, Joe, from your perspective, uh, you're where I think most of the money's gonna be made in the future, and it's in traditional business. And when I say that, that the best businesses in the world right now haven't applied the technology because they haven't had to. So if you were an HVAC company or a plumber or an electrician, a lot of those people still use dispatchers. Uh, they haven't even implemented simple uh, solutions that can double uh, the EBITDA uh, with efficiencies. Um, now you're in that business with uh, your company and you took, you were in the restoration business and you saw a hole. which by the way, Tanya, I think women are accepted, say, say again, please. Tennis. Yeah, Tanis. Well, let's just uh, make sure I get happened. that right from the beginning, so I'm gonna have to redo the introduction. Uh, please, Tanis, George, uh, and Joe Tolzman, right? Right. <laughs> if you only knew how many names I have today. Uh, um, I can thank you, Tanis. All good. All good. Um, but I will redo the the intro. Um, but to that measure, uh, I find women—they like—will find the true need. They'll put like a baby in a car when it's cold and they're like, why don't they have like a car seat where you don't have to put the jacket on and off? And men will literally for a hundred years use that car seat and never be like, why don't we have a car seat that does that? You took that perspective in the restoration business and your business is exploding. Uh, There's been a big gap in uh, restoration quoting to insurance companies. Well, what do you think the perspective was it, it, coming from into America? Like, what gave you that insight of like, this is a big hole in a traditional business? I have a billion dollar idea.
2: Yeah, you know, it's all about efficiency. I used to run a restoration company. We had a problem that was pretty inefficient, costly getting documentation from the job sites into the office, documenting, reporting to insurance companies. It was taking forever couldn't find a good solution, so I decided to hire a software engineer, build something that works for us. It worked really well, and then uh, I decided to help the entire industry and solve the problem throughout. So industry had little to no innovation, so it wasn't really hard to come up with a solution that actually solves the problem. And And we really focused on, on solving the problem for the end user, the person on the job, somebody who's working physical labor eight, 10 hours, you know, they don't want to learn how to use another software. It's got to be super easy on a mobile device and get through it. And now that you're
0: successful in your business and you, Tanis, see so many deals with the economy where it's at, what are you guys looking for as far as opportunity goes today? Because there's so many more options and opportunities in roll ups, acquisition. There's a variety of things. When the market was so competitive, people were just throwing money at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we can go bargain shopping. What are you looking for today, Tanis?
1: Well, actually, my angle at this point is actually to assist and seek out co-founders as they're, as they're going for, for financing. That's sort of the role that I'm taking on now and advising and helping uh, co-founders as they go through this transition stage where money was frothy and everything was great, and now they're looking at each other going, how are we gonna raise the next round? And they're attacking each other. And so my big goal at this point is to be able to get in there and assist these co-founders with um, reassessing their business model, um, ensuring that they're on the same page vision-wise, even if that means looking at the need to pivot, or even if that means looking at the need to exit and saying, we're not going to be able to make this happen. How do we prepare for this? And ensuring they're on the same vision. And so that's kind of the the goal of what I'm working on now, um, you know, with the book and with all the different Asundry things to make sure that co-founders go through this next stage and they can raise money. They're aligned, they're united, they're able to move the vision forward with their business as they make the changes.
2: And what
0: about the money that's already there? Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the issues that co-founders have is it's not just raising more money, it's dealing with when things get tough, the people have already put their money in.
1: Yeah. If they haven't already put the brakes on, like slam the brakes on, because it's it's not the time to be thinking anything, it's time to think lean, it's time to think about the risk of falling apart, because a lot of times um, I think founders, they, they, they take so much responsibility for their team and they think, I don't want to lay anybody off, I don't want to do any of that. But the risk of not laying a few off could potentially mean the risk of solvency, or everybody losing their jobs so it's there's a prioritization I think that co-founders need to look through their business with the lenses and that really comes with making sure you spend your money properly
0: and Joe you see that in your business because you are expanding and growing are you cutting back
2: uh, we have always been lean yeah. we that that's too. that's the basis for it being efficient but then also making sure we can achieve that by being coordinated so yeah. we're not incurring expense before it actually counts yeah. it's kind of like making a dinner you know if you if you don't time the sauce right in the end, it's not going to be a good outcome. So it's important (laughs) everything connects. I love that.
0: Um, So technology has changed. A paradigm has shifted this year with AI and the exposure that all businesses have to it. It's been there a while. I'm a technology person and have invested in it over the last five years. But it hit chasm where everyone on their own phone can have some sort of application. For me, since 1992, technology's always been a servant. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about technology today is that, and the economy in in its reconciliation, is that for the first time, we are laying off people as we should be, but we're also hiring people at the same time. Um, I would love to know kind of where and how you balance, who are we laying off and who should we be hiring at this cutbacks mm-hmm. break yeah. type of position.
1: Yeah, I think again when I advise co founders, I think that's a big portion of it, to ensure that they really have an honest and clear vision to where they need to be in the next, let's hope, eighteen to twenty four months and say where are we gonna make the most impact and then and adjust accordingly. Where are we gonna where are we gonna be able to save? Should we be able to you know cut down be more efficient there or where do we need to grow what is that one piece of our business the 80 20 rule right where are we really making our money let's go after that portion we might need to grow that and then let's cut off this excess and again it's really important that the founders are on the same page because if one is saying you know what that's not that's not where i want to go they literally both have to be yeah let's do this and go otherwise dangerous are
0: you seeing disagreements in your own company or others as far as where to go? Because you, know, you have investors, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: People always have different opinions because they have different points of view, so they get different perspective. But that's why it's required to put enough work to get everybody aligned. And when everybody works in the same direction, you get to the goal so much quicker.
0: Now I'm going to turn the page into an area that I love as far as leadership goes and entrepreneurship goes, and it's the ego side of things. So I, I believe... There's fear of the past and fear of the future, and that's it. I think it's important for us to identify how we prescribe our ego-based consciousness to the fear of the past and fear of the future. And you're looking at someone who lost over $100 million, so I'm expert at the fear of the past. I'm not very good with the fear of the future, obviously, because I will tell you, if you have fear of the future, you are not losing over $100 million. But it will create great fear of the past. you, you both have to deal with this uh, ego-based consciousness. What are some of the lessons uh, that you help people learn, hopefully without losing all their money, like me, because it makes it easier to learn it that way? It's more painful, but it's easier to learn. The lesson is very apparent about ego. Um, but before everybody crashes uh, because of ego, what are some of the lessons that you can share that you may advise some of your entrepreneurs and yourself and your partners as well, Joan.
1: Yeah. I, um, I love that you chose ego because I dedicated an entire chapter to it because as First I- First of all,
0: well, let's talk about the book. What's the name of the book?
1: The Co-Founder's Handbook.
0: Co-Founder's Handbook. Yeah. Everybody have- that's a co-founder or a founder should have that's one.
1: That's right. <laughs> So <laughs> All right. So, and the reason I did that is because as I interviewed so many founders, what I found when they broke down was someone had an ego, an, an out of proportion ego. And one of the things that's so important is that when you're at a partnership, you are united. And no one is above the other. And you have to constantly see each other as united going forward. And so there's humility involved, there's grace for one another. And I think that if you can do that between founders, then that trickles down to your team. It becomes a a, a top-down type of, environment where everyone then models that throughout your company and you become a company of integrity and I think that ego we're the best or I have all the answers those ideas end up actually being extremely destructive so I actually often advise people to check the ego check it leave it behind we're all in this to win it's a win-win situation so let's go forward in that way
2: Absolutely, yeah. And how's Ego interplaying with you? Similar thing. I always tell people, focus on logic, common sense. As long as we're here to get the job done, it's a clear objective what we're trying to achieve. We're just going to go through it. And I I tell people, take the emotion out of it, because if we run our business based on emotion, there will be drive-by shootings every day. But that's that's not a good (laughs) business practice, so we don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: I felt that way here at Collision with my own team. Um, As we have uh, herding cats walking over here, and uh, my notes and everything else I'm dealing with. I'm looking, it's so funny because I do so many of these and I'm like, how is it that my notes doesn't even mention the book? And at least they had their name right and I got it wrong, Tanis. But uh, I always like to illuminate my human imperfections. I'm gonna get a little deeper on ego though. This is one of my favorite subjects that people don't talk about, but seasoned vets like you will get this. So I believe there's two types of ignorance. There's ignorant humility, which is great in a co-founder situation Uh, and with investors, hey, I don't know what I don't know, but I do my best, I learn lessons and have fun. Come with me, do your best, learn lessons with me and have fun. That's a beautiful relationship. I don't see it that often. Here's an interesting one, the ignorant, arrogant people. Um, And so we see this a lot, but there's another type of ignorant, arrogant that comes to our mind of I know everything and this is the one I think that's the most dangerous, especially in co-founder relationships with investors, especially if they've gone through a family and friends round uh, or early stage angel round where it's personal, right? The investment is in Anderson, you know, turning down a billion dollar clubhouse offer, right? There's no emotional pity for those guys. That's just admit it. So this ignorant arrogance is scary because just like a parent, The co-founders are damaged because they care so much about their family and friends and their angel investors that they're more afraid for them than they are for the business. And parents do this all the time, right? They'll give you advice because they're more afraid for you. So they'll be like, take that job, be a real lawyer, right? Doctor, lawyer, failure. Uh, um, (laughs) And I live that if, if you can feel the pain. So how do we deal with the we, I think we all know the ignorant you know, arrogance of people that are just superior, mm-hmm. but how do we deal with the loving ignorant arrogance that really can put the business and the co-founders at extreme jeopardy because they're so scared for the investors and losing their money?
1: Yeah, yeah I think that <clears throat> one of the things that I notice is that communication breaks down when expectation is at its highest. So I think it's fine, fine figuring out what the expectations are that everybody has and communicating to them the truth. So when it comes to family, explaining to them, I can't, I want to and I will protect you, but I have a new set of people to can be concerned about and I'm going to need to make decisions that reflects for everybody. And you have to have those difficult conversations, which I think nobody wants to have. And same thing with investors. Um, Early on, we're so desperate sometimes for the funding that we hold our hold our tongue, and we don't say the things that are important, but one of the things I'm often ta- advising co-founders is to say, your investors, anyone who gives you money is now technically your co-founder, and they're gonna have a say, they're gonna wanna do stuff, so you need to set parameters, you need to set expectations, you need to communicate clearly, so everything's on the table, and it saves you down to the future, um, because exactly that, that ignorance Uh, when it's there, um, for whatever reason, it can be destructive. But if you can have that communication, say, here, we're going to do what's best for the company so that we all win, then I think it takes the emotion out of it and it allows everybody to move forward and get educated and make the right decision.
0: How is this ignorant arrogance of fear playing in your business?
2: There's no place for arrogance put the ego aside when somebody did something wrong making sure that nobody's pointing fingers at the person so we're all going to do things wrong it's about getting it right when it's wrong and keep moving towards the goal the key thing is to know what the goal is and then what's the next goal and the next goal so.
0: I love Joe he's like interviewing a head football coach they're like trained just <laughs> to like it's all factual right like Tannis over here has these like colorful stories and <laughs> antidotes and Joe's just like so first no room for arrogance <laughs> That's it. Uh, I love it. Um, to, to that We're a good team. We be like you guys a are. You guys you yeah, I think got we'll, some investment we'll opportunity. <laughs> you should. Trust me, you'd be a lot better off without me. Um, anyway, <laughs> you guys are great. Uh, just, just to finish out, and, and this is an issue that a lot of people don't talk about. I have a two-minute drill. In fact, the winner of Web Summit, the five best pitch pitches go on my TV show on Apple. And they can win like fifty thousand in cash and prizes, but I'm amazed how people overlook integrity in 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 co-founders, in the pitches, in the communication, and it's usually an either an unintentional, like you talked about, hopeful, and so they'll say things like, "My revenue is up three hundred percent," and then some of the investors don't even ask, "Well, how much revenue do you have last year?" Oh, nine dollars, <laughs> right? But you lost all credibility to me. Yeah. And so how do we help co-founders? And I'm sure it's in your, your uh, book mm-hmm. about the importance of integrity and credibility in what you say as you're pitching to your investors and to your other co-founders.
1: Yeah. I currently am in the process of raising two teenage boys. And, <laughs> Good <luck>. um <laughs> And one of the things I've been saying a lot to them lately is that your reputation will always precede you. And at, the older you get, the more important your reputation becomes. And so I think one of the things to talk to entrepreneurs as they're building their business is, you know what, let's assume success. Let's assume you're going to grow. Um, you might do this again down the road. You want to make sure that when you have to provide a reference, because that's like a big thing, obviously, when you're raising money, that your reputation will follow you. So you have to be so essential or it's intentional about every word that comes out because that will, that is slowly defining you as an entrepreneur and your image as who you are. And so you need to be able to uh, carry that with you so that integrity is not, it's priceless. You lose that, you, you'll never raise money again. You'll have a reputation that investors will say, eh. and and nobody wants to have risk when they're dealing with money. So integrity is essential.
2: Yeah, integrity is one of the fundamentals. So do the right thing no matter how hard it is. Yeah, well, my favorite quote is always,
0: be kind to your future self, including doing good deeds and being honest. And it's uh, truly, and and the reason is that we can change the meaning of our own past. We know who we are today and what we've learned, um, but it's very, very difficult to change the meaning of your past to someone else. So we mostly see this with siblings, for example. By the way, the only thing harder than raising two teenage boys is raising three teenage daughters.
1: <laughs> um, I hate to one-up her, but Fair this hair
0: says it all, or what's left of it, um, but maybe we should get the kids together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk about a great combo. <laughs> right. your, your looks and brains, what would I bring okay, to it? Uh, oh, my wife's, get, my knowledge. wife's, right, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, we need guides. We need mentorship. I always say the fastest way to get to where you want to be is find someone that is where you want to be and ask them for direction. Isn't that what your book really has given? That's what your experience, Joe, has given as well. I feel so blessed to have you both here, and I want to thank you so much. Here at Collision, I am with Tannis George and Joe Tolsman. We are at the Next Stage podcast at Collision. We hijacked it. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.